Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers, where we provide you with up-to-date information on cancer care and research. Our host, Dr. Stephen Gore, is Director of Hematological Malignancies at SMILO and an expert on myelodysplastic syndromes. He interviews some of the nation's leading oncologists and cancer specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. If you're interested in listening to past editions of Yale Cancer Center Answers, all of the shows are posted on the Yale Cancer Center website at YaleCancerCenter.org. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can contact the doctors directly. The address is canceranswers at yale.edu. Here's Dr. Gore. Welcome to another episode of Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined uh, by my guest, Dr. Dwayne Fan. Dr. Fan is Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Chief Psychologist for Psychiatric Services at the Yale New Haven Hospital. He's here with us today to discuss his work with melanoma patients and, in general, in coping with long-term illnesses. Dwayne, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is you do and um, your role at the Yale Cancer Center and the Yale Hospital. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm on the faculty here at the School of Medicine within the Department of Psychiatry. Um, as you said, I'm the chief psychologist of psychiatric services, but I also run a behavioral medicine service, which essentially is an effort to integrate psychological consultation and therapies within key medical areas. So I actually spend a lot of time within the cancer center where I see patients from well, all of the disease teams and patients who are at any stage of their illness. Um, technically speaking, I'm part of the palliative care service, so I work very closely with that group, but really I work with all of the teams as well. So what I try to do is I try to meet patients within the outpatient clinics uh, at SMILO, and I provide evidence-based psychological assessment and intervention to try to help them cope with and adapt to the very real and sometimes very stressful circumstances related to their illness. So basically, I try to you know, create a, uh, a, a level of support that helps patients feel well cared for and understood as a whole person. Uh, you know, it's our goal to provide patients with the best care possible, which means giving them good medical care, access to great doctors and treatments, but also care for them as humans, as individuals. So that's what I try to do. That's great. Now, um, just to be provocative here as a, uh, a hematologist and a sort of standard a more conventional medicine guy, although a big proponent of, uh, of behavioral health. Yeah. Uh, you know, what kind of evidence is there for interventions in this population? What, what is evidence-based psychological support? Well, there's actually uh, great and growing evidence on the use of uh, particular psychological therapies with cancer patients. Uh, we know very well that um, cognitive behavioral therapy or mindfulness-based cognitive therapies are very effective in helping patients to address uh, health-related anxiety, depression, and other stress reactions that can go along with cancer or other serious life-altering and life-threatening illnesses. 
Cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> that is a mouthful. Right. Yeah. And I bet a lot of our listeners don't have a clue what that means. Well, um, it's based on very basic principles, actually. Uh, cognitive behavioral theory and therapy rests on the idea that our thoughts, our feelings, and our behavior are all connected. So in a sense, how we think, our thoughts, our beliefs, our assumptions help shape how we feel, our emotions, our moods, and how we think and how we feel influence what we do, how we act, the choices we make, right? Not me. <laughs> well, for most people, anyway. <laughs> um, but also how we act, the choices we make, uh, our lifestyle uh, has a major role in how we think and how we feel as well. So as a psychologist, working with folks who are learning to cope with these health-related challenges, we pay attention to the automatic thoughts or beliefs that drive fear, anxiety, depression, sadness. We look at how people are living. Uh, are they living in a way that helps support healthy uh, thought processes? Are they becoming isolated? Are they getting enough sleep? Are they eating well? Are they socializing? Basic things like that that help support uh, healthy psychological adjustment. So this isn't so much going into their family of origin, although I suppose <laughs> it could be, and sort of, you know, why every time I see, you know, something, I respond this way. It's not this long-term neurosis, no. Freudian <laughs> thing that, that many of us, you know, uh, perhaps fantasize that the therapy is like for many people. No, typically Psychodynamic, not. Psychodynamic, Most will. cognitive behavioral therapies are relatively brief, um, problem-focused. Uh, that's not to say that some of these uh, longer-term or deeper issues don't surface. In fact, they, they can and they do. Our early life experiences shape how we think. Of course. And those core beliefs. So sometimes those do come up and need to be addressed as well. So, um, you know, all of my patients with new diagnoses of cancer uh, are sad, mm -hmm. and many of them uh, are anxious, uh, at least in the sort of generic sense of the, the lay sense of I'm anxious about what the treatment's going to be, I'm anxious about what's going to happen in my life, and those are, are all, in my experience, sort of human and adaptive and normal right. reactive mm -hmm. issues. When uh, is it appropriate or when um, should a patient feel like, gee, this is how I'm feeling isn't really working well for me. I need some additional level of help. Or when should a practitioner like myself say, mm, this is out of the realm? Or should everybody with a new diagnosis of cancer, well, I'm saying new, but you, you've mentioned that you, you treat people at all stages, mm -hmm. obviously, but uh, should everybody... Uh, dealing with an active diagnosis of cancer be plugged in with someone like you? Yeah. I mean, the, it seems like yes. Yeah, these are great questions. Um, you know, it's perfectly natural for anyone who receives a new diagnosis of cancer to experience some degree of emotional distress. Uh, almost everyone <laughs> feels stressed, anxious, worried upon receiving an initial diagnosis. It would seem abnormal not to. Right, exactly. And the good news is that most people are very resilient. They cope with and adapt to these challenges quite successfully. But some, for some, these worries, fears persist. 
and they can start mm, uh, causing problems, getting in the way of normal day-to-day functioning. It might get in the way of being able to sleep at night or to function during the day or to uh, cope with the required or recommended treatments that go along with uh, the diagnosis of cancer. So patients should always feel free to talk to their doctors, their oncologists, about how they're feeling and to request additional assistance whenever they want it. But certainly, if physicians uh, notice that patients are struggling with these persistent fears that are starting to affect day-to-day functioning, that's definitely when a psychologist or other mental health professional should be included in the in their care. Ideally, if we had all of the resources at our disposal, uh, I would love to see a psychologist uh, involved in every patient's treatment. You know, unfortunately, we're not there yet. Uh, either here at Yale or nationally. We just don't have the resources or the funding mechanisms yet to support it. But we're getting there. More and more cancer centers like ours are integrating behavioral health or psychological therapies into routine care. So that's a good thing. And does insurance in general pay for these consultations? Yes. So I'm a member of the Yale Medical Group. When I see patients, I do uh, have to charge for that service. But yeah, most major medical insurances as well as Medicaid and Medicare do cover these services. Right. Sometimes there's a small copay, but more often than not, they're fully covered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking that Yale New Haven Hospital uh, is a pretty big hospital, and even right. Smilo Cancer Hospital is 150 or 200 beds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one of you. How, how many <laughs> of you are there? Yeah. Uh, so... Um, there's me, and I have uh, either two to three psychology fellows working with me at any gotcha. given time. Uh, we really are only able to see a small fraction of the patients who are coming through Smilo. I'd love to see more, and hopefully we'll get there, but gotcha. we're a small but growing service. I mean, it seems like it would be an enormous potential load. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to say, though, uh, for me, it's tremendously rewarding work. Um, it's a tremendous experience to be able to help a person who uh, is struggling to cope with these very real and serious challenges that go along with cancer and cancer treatments. And to be able to help in even a small way, it's a tremendous reward. How important is it that patients work with a psychologist uh, who has particular experience um, in the cancer space uh, and who does things like cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, this clearly, uh, it sounds like if, if we have limited resources here uh, at Yale, uh, you know, excellent but, but limited, we're going to need to be uh, reaching out to community practitioners. Right. And, of course, many of our patients do travel for some distance, and it might be easier for them to see somebody in Greenwich or right. – Wallingford or right. wherever it might be, but but a general therapist, you know, sees people going through divorce and usual anxieties of life. And so how important is it, you know, that somebody really have experience, that the therapist have yeah. experience, or, or is this just really just a subset of more general phenomena? Well, uh, that's a great question as well. So I would say that It is helpful for a therapist to have experience working with 
patients living with cancer because there are unique stressors. And I think oftentimes people who are living with cancer feel like other people just don't get it. They don't really understand what it's like. And so having a therapist who has experience helps in that respect. It increases their empathy, their capacity to understand, appreciate those unique challenges, and hopefully make a significant difference. You know, cancer is one of those things that affects almost everyone to some degree or another, either as patient or family member or loved one or friend. So uh, it's inevitable that just through life experience, we gain some exposure to and familiarity with cancer. And I think we learn from those experiences. And as a therapist, we can apply those life experiences to uh, those individuals we care for. So it's legit for a patient who's looking or uh, interviewing a, a therapist to ask about that therapist's experience with... Yeah, I think it helps. Is it absolutely necessary? No, I'm sure there are many, many excellent therapists, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, clinical social workers who can apply broad and general psychotherapeutic skills to patients with cancer. And but, be, be helpful. Yeah, yeah, but I think if you can find someone who has particular experience or expertise, that would be the best case. Yeah. And uh, do you actually, does your practice include um, treating uh, caregivers, family members? Um, yeah. So, you know, as we've identified earlier, I'm a pretty limited resource at Smile. There's only so much of me to go around, but I do... Um, uh, think it's uh, tremendously helpful to have a spouse or other family member accompany my patients to their visits for several reasons. They're a great source of additional information. And they also are experiencing their own stress or worries uh, that go along with their spouse or family member's illness. So if they can be supported, they're that much better off in supporting their loved one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, cancer, we think of it as, as a we disease. It affects not just the individual, but their family, their loved ones. Um, so it's important to the extent possible to provide a layer of support for the family as well. I can imagine that sometimes there's sufficient dysfunction induced in the family member that perhaps that person uh, oh, sure. deserves separate uh, oh, therapy for him or herself. Yeah, absolutely. We've certainly, you know, I've seen cases where, you know, patients are coping relatively well, but it's their spouse who's really having difficulty. Or their kids. Yeah, or kids. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I I know that uh, in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, to the extent that I'm familiar with it, sometimes there are exercises that are given to people. I don't know if that's for certain things or, Mm -hmm. or certain techniques that are taught. Uh, in terms of dealing with anxiety. Yeah. Is this the kind of thing that, that is sometimes used for these people, or is it mostly just talking about what's going on? Well, they go hand in hand. <laughs> As we talk about what's going on, we pay attention to how a person is thinking and feeling and behaving, right? So we pay attention to those automatic thoughts. So, for instance, um, you know, m- many patients, when facing a, an upcoming appointment or upcoming scan, 
They're thinking and thinking. And oh, yeah. Trying to predict what's going to happen. What's that scan They don't sleep the night before, oh, oftentimes. No, no, no. no. It's they come very... sweaty to their meetings. Right, exactly. It's like, really? I'm a nice guy. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's only natural, right? I mean, who wouldn't worry to some extent or be trying to guess what's going to happen? And many patients who are anxious are very focused on what's going to happen in the future. They ask themselves, what if this? What if that? And it's that repetitive or ruminative questioning that can drive a lot of anxiety. So, you know, in life, there are things that we can control and things that we can't, right? Cancer is a perfect example of this. You can go to your doctor. You can do all the right things. But we really, we're not at the point where we can fully control what's going to happen with that cancer. So there's always an element that's beyond our control But one of the things that we can do is to exercise some control over or influence over how we think and how we react to these stressors. So back to your question about exercises, what can people do? Well, you can notice how you think. The first step is noticing, being aware of how you think. Noticing if you're jumping to conclusions, catastrophizing, Mm. assuming the worst, thinking in all or nothing terms. These are all normal, natural ways of thinking and reacting when you're under stress. We all do it. But anxious people, depressed people do this a lot. So we can pay attention to those thoughts. We can try to replace them with more helpful thoughts that help to bring down the level of anxiety. We can challenge those thoughts. Where's the evidence of this? You know, um, We can try to let those thoughts go. Mindfulness, very popular concept today. Yeah, It's based on the idea of being present and in the moment in a non-judgmental way. Instead of predicting, trying to predict the future and, and, um, uh, and thinking ahead, it's about coming back and being present to the moment. Now, now is what's in our control. Now is where we can experience happiness, meaning, pleasure. And so for an anxious patient who's lost in thought about what's going to happen in the future, we try to come back to the present as a way of managing that uncertainty. So um, do you teach mindfulness practice? Is the meditation a piece of this? or? Yep, mindfulness meditation and relaxation exercises or other behavioral techniques like progressive muscle relaxation Mm -hmm. are very important. Uh, That's consistent with cognitive behavioral therapy as well. For instance, progressive muscle relaxation, that helps, that's a systematic approach to relaxing the major muscle groups of the body. The idea being you can't be tense and relaxed at the same time, right? Right, And stress results in physical tension, mental tension. So if you can reduce some of that physical and mental tension, you're essentially reducing your level of stress in that moment. So it's the kind of thing where you relax your toes, and yeah. relax your feet, right, exactly. you're lying down. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done that with guided imagery. Right. It's guided imagery is very valuable. Um, when... Uh, having to endure a procedure or scan, uh, healthy distraction by imagining a pleasant scene and mentally going there is a great way of 
coping with the anxiety that goes along with having a procedure or a scan. You think about something else that helps you to feel a little bit more relaxed. Now, for some patients, I can imagine uh, that despite, um, you know, this kind of interaction, their anxiety may continue to be, you know, resistant. Right. And so at at what point uh, does one need to pull in medications or... Uh, I know that, uh, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's the way it is. I think realistically, many of us uh, as oncologists uh, hear these symptoms and we prescribe an antidepressant with anti-anxiety mm-hmm. features uh, as kind of a first step. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe we shouldn't be doing that. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, I think um, the reality is that... Um, Many folks dealing with cancer don't have the time or the resources to see a psychiatrist in the community. So the extent to which you as an oncologist, for instance, are uh, comfortable with and feel confident in your ability to prescribe uh, basic antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications, that can be extremely helpful. So going back a couple of steps. So as a psychologist... I am attentive to um, these issues and and when uh, medication is indicated. When someone meets the diagnostic criterion for major depression, say, or panic disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, medications are clearly indicated. And again, the evidence shows that medication in combination with the right therapies is the most effective way of of treating the illness. So um, when patients meet the criterion for major depression, say, where their sleep, appetite, energy level, interest level are uh, affected, where they're having thoughts of feeling hopeless or worthless or even suicidal, and these things are affecting day-to-day functioning, Medication is indicated, and I will talk to oncologists about the possibility of starting medications. Um, in certain cases, though, um, uh, psychiatric expertise is absolutely indicated, and we are reaching out to psychiatrists in the community to try to form closer relationships so that we have networks of uh, psychiatric providers that we can refer our patients to. I mean, certainly, if somebody's got a suicidal depression, I'm not comfortable dealing with that. Right, and exactly. I, I don't think I'm. I don't think it's appropriate. Right, exactly. And we do uh, consider higher levels of care, intensive outpatient levels of care, or intensive outpatient therapy, or in some cases, a hospitalization mm. as a way to manage safety. Yeah. What about the spirituality piece mm. and faith? Yeah, it's that. It's so important, and I'm glad you asked about it. So I'm a psychologist. I'm, I'm not a chaplain, but I always ask about faith because it's an important part of life. Uh, and it's impo- an important part of meaning and what can bring strength, courage, and hope to individuals who are going through these challenging times. So I, uh, uh, I find it uh, very helpful uh, to know uh, more about a patient's faith, and whatever that means, if it's uh, formal religious belief or a more individual sense of spirituality. One of the things that I'm interested in as a faculty member is resilience and what helps people 
stay resilient or develop resilience. And faith is a big part of that. Resilient people tend to have some connection to faith. Hmm. So, uh, no, that's that's interesting for the for the listeners. Our guest today, actually, I think you'd make a uh, you certainly look the part <laughs> <laughs> of a cleric. Uh, you, you, oh, you could, you could fit. That. I do. Yeah, in a, in a very nice, positive way, like you know, the, the Bob Newhart show version of of the local minister. It's it's Thank a good you, Steve. it's a good thing. Uh, just trying to give some visuals. <laughs> to our listening public. Um, now, I know you've been involved with the Melanoma Group in particular, mm. and yeah. there's a Melanoma Symposium coming right. up. Uh, yeah. What can you tell me about that? Oh, it's a great event. Uh, first of all, I, I want to uh, just say a word about the Melanoma team here at Yale. Um, so Dr. Steve Arian uh, heads the Melanoma team. Uh, he's an amazing gentleman and uh, uh, just a uh, gifted uh, physician and surgeon. He heads a, a truly multidisciplinary team of specialists, of oncologists, pathologists, scientists, geneticists, who are really on the cutting edge of understanding melanoma, its detection, diagnosis, and treatments. Um, and this symposium um, is a forum where a number of members of the melanoma team are presenting to patients and families and anyone interested in melanoma about their research and about the latest findings. So it's an excellent opportunity to learn more about melanoma, to meet other individuals or families who are living with melanoma, um, and to learn about the those cutting-edge advances in, in treatments. Hmm. And this is coming up, I guess, in September on the 22nd. Right. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate uh, to have been in, involved in two of these symposiums in the past. I'll be presenting at this one as well, talking about resilience and coping. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's a great event. Oh, good. Well, I hope uh, many of our listeners will mm. take advantage of that. Uh, Dwayne, it's, uh, it's been really wonderful having you here in Yale Cancer Center's uh, Answers. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's a wonderful discussion on your work uh, and illuminating uh, the importance of uh, emotional care, uh, behavioral care uh, for our patients and for their families. Um, we hope that those interested can make it to the symposium on September 22nd. Until then, this is Dr. Stephen Gore wishing everyone a happy and healthy tomorrow. This has been another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers. We hope that you have learned something new and meaningful. If you have questions, go to YaleCancerCenter.org for more information about cancer and the resources available to you. We hope that you will join us again for another discussion on the progress being made here and around the world in the fight against cancer.